Well, back when I was 19 and in college over in Ohio, I started to have a pain in my left side. It started out like a, a cramp, feeling like just I had a, you know, a cramp in my side, but then, it, but then it started to become difficult to breathe. And so after chapel, I told Britt that I was going to go get checked out at the medical clinic, and Britt went off to class, and I went to the clinic and soon found myself in the back of an ambulance being taken to the hospital with a spontaneous pneumothorax or a collapsed lung. And at the hospital, then they get me there and they quickly prepare me to get a, a chest tube placed in order to help my lung re-expand. And I remember one of the worst parts about that whole ordeal was, I mean, yes, it was painful, but one of the worst parts was feeling like I was all alone. My friends and my family, they were not even aware that this was happening to me. You see, there hadn't been time to even call Brittany or my parents or my friends and, and let them know that what was happening, it all just happened so quickly. And so as they're tying my hands above my head so I wouldn't reflexively you know, bring my arm down during the procedure, as they're tying my hands above my head, I'm just thinking, man, no one, no one knows this is happening to me right now. And you feel alone. You feel like no one knows. No one sees what is, what is going on in this moment. And I think that many of you at times, haven't we all felt like that? No one really sees or knows what is happening to me right now. There's a, there's a pain that goes deeper than, and beyond just a physical pain in that. Feeling like you are completely alone and no one sees, that is a pain that is not remedied with pain medicine. The pain of loneliness cannot be remedied with a substance. The pain of loneliness can only be remedied by someone's presence. But there are times when even our brothers and sisters and close family and friends and even our pastors and city group leaders don't fully understand or know what is going on with us. And I want you to know, church, that in those times, there is someone who sees there is someone who knows. There is someone who cares. Because the truth is that in reality, I was not alone in that hospital room. And neither are you right now. And neither are we as a church. But we forget about God's presence with us, don't we? We forget that God sees us and knows us. Now, the problem with forgetting that God sees us and knows us and cares for us is not just that it is painful, but it's that when we forget that, what we do is we start taking things into our own hands instead of trusting His timing and His word and His ways. And church, may we be reminded this morning that God sees us, knows us, and cares for us, and therefore we can trust and submit to his timing and his ways and his word, and we can lean not on our own understanding. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 16. Uh, we will be back in Romans uh, next week, but this is a word that we need to be reminded of this morning as we celebrate God for these last five years 
and as we gear up for the next five. Now, this isn't going to be an in-depth study of Genesis 16 because there's fried chicken and food that awaits us, and I know us well enough to know not to preach a long sermon on a day like today. But in this passage, in Genesis 16, this is a passage where we are going to learn from the mistakes of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Now, I realize currently in this chapter, it's, it's Abram, Sarai, and in chapter 17, they're going to get their names changed. So if I intermix those names, that's what's going on, all right? Abraham and Sarah, those names are coming. Right now, it's Abram and Sarai. But we're going to learn from their mistakes. And I mean, that's, that's real wisdom right there, being able to learn from the mistakes of others so we don't hopefully have to make them ourselves. We're going to learn from the mistakes of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar, and then we will be reminded of the glorious truth that our God is a God who sees us, who knows us, and who cares for us. And knowing that truth is going to make a big difference for us as we step into the future and we follow and submit to God's words and God's ways. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for his help. Father, we do thank you for this gift that you've given to all of us, this this local body of believers that you've gathered us to. Father, you've brought us us all from different, different backgrounds and different places. You've orchestrated things to happen, some good and some bad, that have all led us to this place, to be under this same roof today, to be able to enjoy life together and worship you together. Father, we recognize and acknowledge that only you could have done this. And so we thank you. We thank you, Father. We thank you that even in the times that as a church we felt all alone or a bit isolated, or we thank you that you sent us help and you sent us your people and you sent us yourself to comfort us and strengthen us and equip us for what you have called us to. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word that your truth, the truth from your word would be what sticks with us and bears fruit in our lives. Help me not get in the way or muddy the waters in any way. God, help me make it clear to, to us what your word says and what it means for our lives. So may you be glorified, may we be edified, and may we have hearts full of thankfulness today for who you are and what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, look with me at Genesis 16, verse 1, the first few verses here. God's word says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. 
God had promised Sarah and Abraham children, offspring, and that through their offspring, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. But it had been some years, and it hadn't happened yet, and they weren't getting any younger. And in this season of waiting, the patience of their faith is being put to the test, and they decide to take things into their own hands. Now, what Sarah suggests here, back in that day and in that culture, it was a thing that people did. It's not what God wanted for marriage when he said that one man and one woman should come together in one flesh, right? It's not what they should have done. But if you looked around and you saw what your neighbors and other tribes and cultures were doing, this was a culturally acceptable thing to do in order to have kids and see your family line continue on. This was the pragmatic thing to do. Using human reasoning, this is what you would come up with to try to do. And what we see here is that their impatience has caused them to lean on their own understanding. And in leaning on their own understanding, they take things into their own hands and do the things that they've seen others do because, hey, it worked for them. Let's do it. If it works, let's, let's work it. Let's do it. Now, here's an encouragement for us as a five-year-old church. Let's never allow impatience to cause us to take things into our own hands and do things just because we've seen it apparently work in our culture or in other churches. Church, let's commit to not just do the pragmatic thing. Let's not just do the thing that our human reasoning comes up with and seems like it might work. Let's commit to do the by faith thing. Let's do the prayerful thing. We have to keep taking things to the Lord in prayer, both personally as well as corporately as we gather in our Thursday morning prayer times and for our leaders and our elders as they gather in elder meetings and city group leaders as we gather in city group leader meetings. Everything must be soaked in prayer and we must continue to pastor and plant this church patiently, submitting to God's word and God's ways. It's typically how churches start, but then somehow things get messy and things grow, and then we start saying that the ends justify the means, and we start doing all these things and compromising, and church, may that not be said of us. Let's not just look around and see what has worked for other people and then do that. Sure, there's wisdom to be gained from others, but let's make sure we're first and foremost listening to God's word and listening to the prompting of the spirit and not making decisions based out of human reasoning or making decisions based out of fear or making decisions based out of impatience with God. But may we faithfully and patiently continue on the work that he has given us to do. Let's not take shortcuts. Let's not take things into our own hands. Notice what else we can learn from the mistakes of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar in this passage. Because to say, hey, let's not take things into our own hands, that doesn't mean that we should just sit around. It doesn't mean that we should just be idle or be lazy or be complacent. That's not what I'm suggesting to you this morning. 
Notice the complacency and the passiveness of Abram here. Now, we might not have the whole story, but it would seem that Abram is pretty passive here. There's no wrestling with this advice from his wife. There's no taking it to the Lord in prayer. There's no maybe even questioning her, pushing back on her a little bit and trying to get her motives for suggesting this. He just goes along with the plan. And then when the plan produces even greater problems in his household, he just washes his hands of it and says, Sarah, you do what you want with Hagar. Man of Franklin City Church, may we never be passive and complacent in the leadership positions God has put us in. May we never abdicate the responsibilities God has given us in our church and in our homes. The falling apart of households and of churches starts when men either lead like dominating dictators or complacent cowards. May neither one be true of the men of this church. May we lead like Christ. May we lead with humility and gentleness, which is a strength under control a strength that is submitted to Christ. And may we sacrificially lay our lives down for our church and our households each and every day. Let us not grow passive or complacent in the roles that God has put us in. But what do we learn from how Sarah responds when Hagar becomes pregnant? Well, she seems to play the blame game and blame everyone else for what has happened, taking no responsibility herself. She also appears to be very envious of this pregnancy with Hagar. And may this not be true of us. Let's not look to blame everyone else for our problems, but let's take responsibility for the part that we have played. And I hope that in these last five years that us as pastors, we've hopefully demonstrated this and set an example for you to follow. The pastors here at times have both corporately and personally one-on-one had times where we have had to come to you and say, hey, we did not lead you well in this situation. Will you forgive us? We've learned and grown through this, and moving into the future, we now see how better to lead you. But we have had times as pastors, we've had to come and and just take responsibility for some shortcomings and some failures that we've had here in the church. The pastors here have had opportunities to play the blame game, but in general, I think we've taken responsibility for where we have fallen short. And I know you already know this, but for those of you who are new and haven't figured it out yet, you must know that you are being led by imperfect leaders. Now, thankfully, we have a perfect leader, Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd, but his under-shepherds are imperfect. And not only do we have imperfect leaders, we also have imperfect members. And therefore, while we in our sin would naturally want to blame everyone else, 
We can instead, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, take responsibility for our sin, our shortcomings, and our failures. And we can do that because our chief shepherd has taken the condemnation of our sin upon himself, and he took it to the cross, and he's buried it in the grave, and he has freed us from the blame game. And he's empowered us to not just point fingers at others because of our sin, but instead confess it and turn from it and trust that Christ has forgiven us, therefore we can forgive one another. Church, we'll need to be able to do this as we move forward these next five years to remember how Christ has forgiven us and to extend that to one another. And if we have Christ church and God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in him, then this also frees us from being envious of one another. Nothing will steal our joy quicker and cause us to be fatigued in our mission than envy stewing in our hearts. But the blessings we have received in Christ, they should free us to cheer one another on. And not envy one another. And this is not a problem, just, this is not just a problem for us as individuals. It can become a problem for us corporately as a church as we look around at other churches and see what they're doing and seeing the ways that God is blessing them, them and the things that the fruit that He's producing there. Isn't it easy, church, for even us as a church to become envious of other churches? If revival were to come to Franklin, primarily through the ministry of another healthy church, would we be okay with it? I want to be. I don't know if I'm fully there yet. I think I'm more there than I was five years ago, but I don't know if I'm fully there yet. But I don't want to be envious of the work that God's doing in other congregations. What about this? If revival were to come to Franklin in our, maybe, maybe my kids and grandkids' generation, and all we end up doing is laying a foundation for them to build upon, if that were to happen, would we be okay with it? The gospel of Jesus Christ can free us from the blame game. The gospel of Jesus Christ can free us from being envious of others and the work that God is doing, and it can cause us to be content with playing the part that God has given us to play. But what do we learn from the mistakes of of Hagar here? Well, God blesses Hagar with a child, but what happens then is she becomes proud and starts to look down upon Sarah. And isn't this a danger for us as well? If God were to continue to bless us with fruitfulness here, which he has. I mean, he's already given us one building. Baptisms and child dedications are increasing. We keep adding more communion cups. Like what if God continues to bring fruit here and even in greater ways than we've seen these first five years? What if that were to happen? Will we become prideful about it? Will we start to look down upon other churches that are maybe dwindling and struggling right now? May it not be, church. May we not despair or become envious when we suffer losses. And may we not grow proud when we 
have winds and see fruit. But may we always with humility be able to say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, what else can we learn from Hagar? Well, when faced with mistreatment and affliction, she, she runs and she tries to run back to what's familiar to her. She's likely running back to Egypt, her homeland, to what's comfortable and familiar to her. And the angel of the Lord meets her in the wilderness. And in Genesis 16, verse 8, it says, And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. Now, when God asks questions, he's not trying to learn new information. God knows. God knows where she's coming from and where she's running to, but God asks questions as a way of helping us to stop and think about the situation we are in. And these are two really great questions for us to ask ourselves and one another when facing a difficult situation. Where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from, and where are you going? I mean, all of us, we can, we can look back to our past. I mean, it's, it's sometimes difficult to see God working in our present, but we can look into our past, and we can see in our past all the fingerprints of God. And as a church, he's, he's led us all individually to this point very differently. And I mean, for some of us, we, we are here because of some really difficult things that he had to lead us through to bring us here. Think about all the ways that God has worked in each of us as individuals to bring us to this day, his faithfulness to each of us, to give us the gift of one another, to draw us to himself, to give us a body of believers to gather with and worship with and live in community with. But also think about how God has provided us for us corporately. I mean, as a church, there were, there were definitely seasons early on where we felt alone as a church, and God provided a, a church planting network for us, Harbor Network, that has been so good in their, their outside support and care of us. God's provided other local churches like LifePoint and others on the south side and here in Franklin that have supported us and come alongside of us. Through the generosity of current church, he's provided us a way for us to have a building to start gathering in. He's provided for us pastors and elders. He's provided city group leaders. He's provided ministry leaders and volunteers. He's provided for us financially through your obedient generosity and the giving of those from outside of our church. And we can look back on these last few, few, five years and see God faithfully providing what we needed just when we needed it. Where have we come from, church? Oh, it's a, it's a glorious question to ask and look back upon and see God's faithfulness, where, he, where we have come from. But where are we going? And like I said in the beginning, I don't know exactly where we're, what we're going to look like five years from now. But we do know some things that we're going to keep doing. We're going to keep preaching the whole counsel of God's word. 
We do know that we're going to keep praying for and pursuing, raising up more elders and pursuing uh, the most biblical Christ-like leadership we can. We do know that we're going to keep calling members of Franklin City Church to be congregationally responsible, to not just be consumers, but to be contributors to the life of this body. We do know that we're going to keep pursuing the multiplication of disciples and of city groups and city group leaders and host homes. We're going to keep preaching the gospel. We're going to keep calling all people to repentance and faith. We're going to keep baptizing, keep dedicating, keep singing, keep praying. We're going to keep taking the Lord's Supper. We're going to keep beholding, keep building, and keep blessing. And all along the way, we're going to keep trusting that God will be the one to bring the fruit and bring the fruit when he wants to bring it. But church, as we keep doing these things, and as we keep being faithful to these things that we've started doing together, we have to realize that we have an enemy, and that sin is crouching around every corner to devour us. Discouragement and weariness and wounds from spiritual battles can quickly come upon us and paralyze us and slow us down. And so what truth about God can remedy these things? That's what I want us to walk away with this morning. After the angel of the Lord promises Hagar that she will have a son, she shares something that she's learned about God that would be good for us to remember this morning. And it's in Genesis 16, verse 13. It says, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. In Hebrew, she gives God the name El Roy, the God who sees. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Now, when God's word speaks about God seeing us, it's getting at the idea of God knowing us and God caring for us. And here we have this wonderful proclamation from Hagar that she has seen the one who looks after her. And this struck me this week as I considered the blessing that this church has been to me personally these last five years. And it hit me that this church has been one of the main ways that my heavenly Father has been looking after me and caring for me. And I think it's, I think it's easy to see things kind of on the surface and in this this physical realm, like we can, we can look around the room. In fact, why don't you do that right now? Why don't you awkwardly look around the room behind you, to the side of you, in front of you, try to make some awkward eye contact with someone? Now, it's easy to look around the room and, and see these wonderful people that God has surrounded us with and to be thankful for these people. We are, we are a church full of amazing people. But I want you to see something deeper that's happening. I want you to see something maybe below the surface and something that you might not see just right away. What I want you to see through these people is the heart of your heavenly Father who has raised up these people and who has worked through these people in order to care for you. 
It's great to be grateful for one another. I think we should be thankful for one another, but we also, at a much deeper level, have to be thankful that Jesus has accomplished this, and this was purposed and planned from the heart of our Father. This is God's way of caring for us. There is no one human who could take credit for what's happening here. All of our leaders, all of our pastors, I mean, I think everyone would say we were just kind of minding our own business. No one was orchestrating or scheming this up. And yet there was the heart of our Father wanting to care for his people in this area, in this time. There was the chief shepherd calling a people to himself accomplishing salvation for them, reconciling them to himself and to one another. And we have heard the voice of our cheap shepherd and we have, we have come. But this was all orchestrated from the heart of our heavenly father who sees us and knows us and cares for us. And he raised up this church and the people at this church because he's the God who looks after you. God sees Hagar, and she sees the God who sees her, and she's no longer prideful about her pregnancy. She's no longer resentful about how she's been mistreated in life. She's no longer despairing and feeling all alone. No, the presence of the Lord has opened up her eyes to see that the Lord sees her, knows her, and is taking care of her, and she then submits to his word and his ways, and she goes back to where he tells her to go. And church, this must be our response as well. Upon hearing about a God who sees us, knows us, and cares for us, this must cause us to submit to his word and his ways and to follow where he calls us to go. Now, this truth about God, that God sees us and knows us, it is both convicting and comforting, isn't it? I mean, in our sin, it is incredibly convicting that God sees us when no one else sees us. That God sees what we've done and thought in the dark and when no one else was aware of what we were doing. It's a bit terrifying, isn't it? Hebrews 4, 13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What should the truth of this reality lead us to? It should lead us to run to Christ. It should lead us to run to Christ. And when we turn and run to Christ, he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. And he promises us then that there is no condemnation for us who have trusted Christ. He promises that he's now going to work all things together for our good and his glory. He's going to use all things to make us more like Jesus. And he promises that there's nothing, that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. And so now for those of us in Christ, this truth that God sees us, it is no longer convicting and terrifying. It is, in fact, a great comfort to our weary and wounded hearts. Psalm 145, verse 18 It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. 
He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And church, there have been times recently where I've gone to God in prayer and said things like, God, are you, are you aware of this? God, are you aware of, of this situation? God, are you aware that this situation is making me uncomfortable right now? God, are you aware that this hurts right now? God, are you aware that we're trying to follow your leading, but it seems like we don't have the, the resources or the people to carry out what you're calling us to? God, are you aware? And you've probably got something right now in your life where you feel alone, you feel weary, you feel wounded, you feel like no one understands, and you're like, God, are you seeing this? God, do you see this? Are you aware of this? Church, I've got good news. God is aware. God sees you. God knows you. And God will take care of you. God sees you. God knows you. And God will take care of you. God sees us. God knows us. God will take care of us. When we gather together to behold God, we are beholding our God who sees us and knows us and takes care of us. And therefore, we can trust and submit to his timing and his ways and his word And we don't have to lean on our own understanding. Let's not take shortcuts, church. Let's not take things into our own hands. Let's not be complacent or passive. Let's not play the blame game or be envious. Let's not grow proud if God continues to bless but let us submit ourselves to and trust his word and his ways. And in this next season of our church, may this truth cause us to live out what Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says. May we trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, may we acknowledge him and may he make our paths straight. Let's pray.